And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you this morning to open with me one more time to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, this morning we come to the last sermon in our series that we have called Foundations, where we have been walking through this chapter. And uh, I can say with all honesty, this walk that we've been taking, it hasn't always been fun, but I believe it has been beneficial. Um, This is, as I said last week, one of the hardest chapters I've ever preached through when we think about just the words of Christ and what he said in this chapter. Yet the the benefit for us cannot be underestimated at all. Um, In my opinion, and I I want you to think about this, about what I've been and where we have been and where we've been looking and understanding that where we have been over the last few weeks has not been looking at the opinion of a pastor. What we have been looking at in the last few weeks is the word of a Savior. And I just want you to understand that my opinion, like yours, means absolutely nothing and carries absolutely no weight compared to the words of our Savior. Um, and just, just think about this morning who he is. I was thinking about that this week, who it is that's talking here, who it is that's, that's speaking, who, who it is that's breathing out these words written in red that we have in our, our Bibles. And Jesus is the Alpha, he's the Omega, he's the beginning, the end, the first, and the last. He is our creator. He is our sustainer. According to Colossians 1, he is holding all things together. He is the bread of life. He is the chief cornerstone. He's our deliverer. He's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the great high priest. He's the the holy one. He's the hope of glory that we see again in Colossians 1. He's the great I am. He's the image of the invisible God, the judge of the living and the dead. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is majestic and mighty, and no one compares to him. He's the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's the power of God. He's the resurrection and the life. He's a supreme sacrifice. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He's the very word of God made flesh. This is who he is. This is who we are approaching this morning. And think about this. Somehow, some 2,000 years removed from him walking this earth, we, we have reduced him to some poor, puny Savior who, number one, we really don't have to obey. All we have to do is just admire him. Or number two, a Savior who is just begging us to accept him. You ever, you ever heard that one? Jesus is begging us to accept him. Let me just say this. Jesus doesn't need to be accepted by us. Jesus doesn't need your acceptance. He doesn't need my acceptance. He is infinitely worthy of all the glory in the world. This is who he is. At this moment, there are multitudes of heavenly creatures surrounding him. They're doing his bidding. They are surrounding him with praises. Therefore, let me humble us a little bit. God doesn't need our songs. He doesn't need our church attendance. He doesn't need our, our Bible studies. He doesn't need those things. In fact, he doesn't need us at all. Now, we're thankful. Here's the good news. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us with a love we can't even understand. But he doesn't need us. 
doesn't need us in any way whatsoever. In fact, think about this. He doesn't need us. We need him. We need him. And because of his grace, because of his love, he has made a way for us to have him, for us to know him both now and forever. And again, not because he can't live without us or not because we complete him, but because we can't live, truly live without him. We can't live apart from him. Yet somehow... We live lives, and we, and I say we, meaning me, forget how much we need him. Forget that we don't just need Christ for our salvation. We need him for every breath we take. You ever thought about that? If Jesus all of a sudden looked at you and said, no more breath, you have no more breath. doesn't matter what you try to bring up on your own. And just think about the faulty foundations that we often build, even, get this, even concerning Christ. Where did we get the idea that Jesus needed us to accept him? Jesus isn't running for prom king, looking at us going, hey, if I have your vote, maybe, just maybe, I can be um, the Lord of the universe. Just vote for me. Jesus isn't on a bumper sticker. He's not on some sign somewhere pointing us going, just vote for me. It's not that picture. Or where do we get the idea? And this might rub some of you the wrong way. Where do we get the idea that we have to make him Lord? We hear that a lot. Just make Jesus Lord. Let me just say this very clearly. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. If you refuse to acknowledge him as Lord, guess what? He's still Lord. There is not one thing that you and I can say that will ever make him greater than who he is. This is the picture of who it is we come to. We don't make him Lord. We bow our knee to him and we respond to him as Lord. He is Lord. It is our response to him. And then where do we get the idea that we don't have to obey him? That we can just do whatever we want to do. And Jesus just winks at us and says, just carry on. You're, you're good. Or, or where do we get the idea that we are his foundation instead of the other way around? That he is our foundation. So this morning, we're going to look to the word once again in Matthew 7. And as we look, we're going to examine the foundation of our lives as Jesus declares it. And what a way to end this series. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read chapter, or chapter 7, verses 24 through 29 together. And this is the words of Christ. And he says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you. We come to your word. We thank you that your word is living and it's powerful and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you, God, that your word will not return void. 
We thank you, Father, for the power of your word. And we thank you, God, that we have your word. That we have your word. It's sitting in our laps. We have it, God. Lord, just help us not just to agree with it today, but help us to obey it. Lord, by your help, through your grace, through your empowering, God, help us to obey your word. Like never before, oh God, to speak to your people through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So today we're looking at this picture of foundations and Christ as our foundation. In 1174, an Italian architect by the name of Bonanno Pisano uh, began work on what would be his most famous project, a bell tower uh, for the local cathedral. The tower was supposed to be and was eight stories high. There was one little problem, though. The builders quickly discovered that the soil was much softer than they had anticipated and that the foundation was too shallow to hold the structure. And sure enough, before long, the tower began to tilt and it continued to tilt until finally the architect and the builders realized that nothing could be done to make what became known as the Leaning Tower of Pisa straight again. Um, it took over 200 years to complete. Many attempts were made to try to compensate for this tilt. Um, the foundations were, were continually looked at and looked at and, and shored up. The upper levels were even built at an angle to try to compensate for the, the leaning so it would look straight, but nothing worked. In fact, in 1990, for fear that it would fall and cause a loss of life and injury, it was shut down for a bit while it was shored up, and now it is open again, but I think only 30 people can go up, and they have said that since the um, work was done, they can assure that the foundation will last at least 200 years. But this, this leaning tower... I think for us is a vivid reminder that although foundations are hidden, hidden, they are essential and they will always reveal themselves as either being strong or being faulty. That's true of all of our lives. And as we come to the end of this series, Jesus is challenging us to identify the foundation of our lives and to check the foundations of our lives before it's too late. In the words of Pastor John Stott, I love this. He says, in referring to the two rows that Jesus presents in Matthew 7 and then the two foundations, says it would be impossible to exaggerate the importance of the choice between them since one way leads to life while the other ends in destruction and one building is secure while the other is overwhelmed with disaster. Far more momentous than the choice even of a life work or a life partner is the choice about life itself. On which foundation are we going to build? Just think about that. Even more than your life work, even more than your life partner, the decision about your life itself and where, who you will build that life upon is the most important decision. So in light of that reality, I want us to, uh, this morning, unpack three foundational truths concerning foundation, concerning the storm, and concerning the one who is the authority over all of our lives, whether we know it or not. So the first truth is this. First truth I pray that we see is the absolute necessity of an unshakable foundation. 
We're going to deal with absolutes this morning. So the absolute necessity of an unshakable foundation. We need that in our lives. And Jesus comes on the scene saying everyone. I love that Greek word, pos. It means all. Anyone. Everyone. All who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then he says in verse 26, Everyone, all who hears these words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. So the picture is everyone who hears is forced to make a decision concerning Christ and his word. Everyone. There are no exceptions. And Jesus gives us this picture of two builders. Both build their houses in the same general location, evidenced by the fact that they both experienced or hit by the same storm. In other words, the outward circumstances of their lives are essentially the, the same. There is no advantage that one has over the other. They both live in the same part of town. They both go to the same church. They both hear the same messages every week. They both sit in the same Sunday school class. They both have the same friend group. The difference between these two builders is, and these two houses might not be noticeable by looking at the outside, yet the key is that one acted upon the words of Christ and one did not. In fact, one built upon the blueprint that Christ gave and one built upon their own blueprint and what they thought would be good. And Jesus is saying here is there is only one blueprint that will lead to life. And I know every time we say that, there might be a few in here that, that will say, especially as the world thinks, well, isn't that just narrow thought to, to get up here? And isn't that prideful to say that there is only one way? And remember what we say all the time. The question of the Bible is not, so the question of this Bible is not why is there only one way to heaven? The question of the word is, is why is there any way at all? That's the question of this Bible. Not, not why, if God's so loving, why is there only one way? No, it's because God is so holy and just. How can we get to heaven at all? How can we? That's the question of the word. But don't miss the mercy of God here and that he provides for us a rock. He provides for us a rock. And you want to know something? The broad way that leads to destruction is all sand. It's all sand. And the narrow way that leads to life is all rock. It's got to be built on the rock. And when we say that, when we say that it has to be built upon the rock, think about this. What are we saying? In one standpoint, we could say that God is the rock. We read that this morning in Psalm 18. The Lord is my rock, my fortress. We could say also that Christ is the rock. Um, Peter said that he was the chief cornerstone. But just think about this. Many people, that's their thought process. Yeah, I've made a decision for Christ. I believe in God. Therefore, he is my foundation. But yet there has been no change in their life whatsoever. There's nothing different about their life than the world that they live in. So when it comes to this picture of Jesus saying, build your life upon the rock, what is he saying? What is the rock? And this is where we realize the words of Christ show us what the rock is because Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine. Notice Jesus doesn't say this. He doesn't say everyone who hears these words of mine and admires them is wise. He doesn't say everyone who hears these words of mine and even believes them is wise. He doesn't even say everyone who hears these words of mine and studies them in a group is wise. He says everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. 
and does them is wise. So according to Jesus, what is the rock? It is obedience to the word of God, which begs the question, so how are we doing there? It's one thing for us to say, yeah, I believe in God. He is my foundation. Are we obeying him? Are we walking in obedience? What kind of foundation do we have when it comes to obedience to Christ? Soren Kierkegaard addressed Jesus' warning regarding hearing and, and doing in his animal parable that he called Duckland. Let, let me just share it with you. Because this is, this is us, brothers and sisters. It was Sunday morning and all the ducks dutifully came to church, waddling through the doors and down the aisle. I'm not saying we waddle in, but anyway, follow with me. Down the aisle into their pews where they comfortably squatted. When all were well seated and the hymns were sung, the duck pastor waddled to his pulpit, opened the duck Bible and read, Ducks, you have wings and with wings you can fly like eagles. You can soar in the sky. Use your wings to fly. And it was a marvelous, elevating duck scripture. And thus all the ducks quacked their ascent with a hearty amen. And then when the service was over, they plopped down from their pews and waddled home. And this is the reality of our lives. We're told, hey, you can fly. And we go, amen. And then we waddle ourselves right back Home. We don't listen to the word or we don't obey the word. So let's pause for a second and think about where we've been. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Think about these words and think about it. As we've walked through this sermon over the last three years, how are we doing at obeying these words? Are you in this moment poor in spirit or are you in this moment proud as a peacock? I read a quote this week that says simply this. There will be no peacocks in heaven. There will be no peacocks in heaven. There is no room for pride when it comes um, in the presence of Christ. Are we poor in spirit? Are, do you still grieve over sin more deeply than you, you used to? Or have you become casual about your sin? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Or are you filled with secondary things? Do you show mercy to others? Or... Are you, are you as self-absorbed as you used to be? Are you willing, get this, are you willing to be used and exploited and even persecuted for the sake of Christ? Are you being salt and light to the world all around you? How have you treated your enemies that have tried to take advantage of you? Have you happily gone beyond the, beyond the call of, of duty when they have inconvenienced your life or spoke bad of you? Or that leads us to Matthew 6. Think about the last few times we've given money to the church. Have we bragged to ourselves about how much we gave or how we, have we bragged to others about how much the church needs us? Or how has your prayer life changed when coming to the the disciples' prayer, the, this model prayer given to us, are we asking and seeking and knocking? Or a better question when it comes to our prayers, are our prayers God-centered or are our prayers self-centered? That's a really good question. Oftentimes in our prayers, guess what we do? We, go, we run right past who God is to get right to who we are and right to what's going on in our lives, as if God is just there for us. 
I hate to break up the praise party in heaven, but God, can you make it about me in this moment? Is kind of how we, we do things. Or think about the Lord's Prayer. Are you forgiving other people and understanding your need for forgiveness? You know, one of the saddest realities I see of professing Christians is the anger and hatefulness that they harbor towards other people. And they come in and sing songs about God's forgiveness while they refuse to forgive other people. And all along, God in heaven is screaming, I am not forgiving you. I'm not forgiving you because you aren't forgiving them. And this is the, the picture. Are, are we forgiving others? Let's move on. Are, what's your attitude as far as money? Are you in its grip or do you have an amazing servant in it? When it comes to money, either we have a great servant or we have a terrible, terrible master. Are you laying up for yourself treasures in heaven? Are you filled with worry? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Think about Matthew 7. Are you condemning others with a heart that has forgotten how much God has forgiven you? Are you doing unto others as you would have them do unto you? Or are you building your life on a firm foundation? All of these things we find in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is saying, if you are building your house upon the rock, it means that you are doing what I told you to do. So how are we doing this morning? The absolute necessity of an unshakable foundation is, are we obeying the words of Christ? Which leads us to the second truth, which is this, the absolute reality of an unrelenting storm. So there is a storm that is coming. Jesus says that the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, the house that was built on the rock stood, the house that was built on the sand um, fell, and great was its fall. And notice what Jesus said. He doesn't say if a storm comes. He says a storm is coming. I'm not a meteorologist up here, although some of my um, predictions are better than theirs are, but I can tell you according to the word of God, a storm is, is coming. There is an earthly aspect here that Jesus is talking about, and there's also an eternal aspect that Jesus is talking about. While on earth, brothers and sisters, I don't know if you know this or not, but there will be storms in this life. We are either coming out of a storm or we are about to enter into a storm, whether you are righteous or whether you are unrighteous. And understand, what Jesus is saying is obedience to Christ will not um, keep the storms from you. For it is the storms that reveal the strength of the foundation that we are building upon. So get this, obedience to Christ will not protect us from the storms. Obedience to Christ will protect us in the storm. And it will protect us through the storm. Just as a rock under a house will not protect that house from the storm, but that rock will keep that house standing through the storm. And think about this from an earthly standpoint. Sometimes storms come into our lives and roll in, and they're storms of sickness, they're storms of pain, they're storms of, of loss, they're storms of defeat, there are storms of, when we think about um, relationships and people who have left us and hurt us, or think about this kind of storm. There's also showers of blessings. Um, that come in and guess what they do sometimes the blessings are even harder for us to deal with than the storms of difficulty sometimes we are way 
um, worse at stewarding blessings than we are at stewarding difficulty. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist when things are bad to go, oh God, help me. But you have to be mighty focused when everything in your life is going according to plan to still say, oh God, help me. Oh God, help me. I am not wise. Oh God, help me. I, I need you in every decision. Or, or, oh God, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And this blessing will not control me. And this blessing will not um, take me from you. So whoever you are and whatever you build upon, according to Jesus, it will be tried. It will be tried. And so not only is there earthly storms, there is also, according to Jesus, an eternal storm that is coming. Notice how Jesus ends the sermon. You know, as pastors, sometimes we are convinced that you always have to end the message on a positive note. You always have to end the sermon in a good tone. And notice this. Jesus' sermon on the mount, his first and longest sermon, he ends by saying, there's a great fall coming. Amen. I mean, that's how, that would never work today. It would never, ever work today. Yet Jesus is telling us there is a storm coming, a final day of Judgment, where God will send his rain, his wind, his, the floods of judgment, and they will wipe away anyone who has not trusted in him. Yet, as we sang earlier, if your life is built on the righteousness of Christ, on Christ the solid rock, you stand, then when the stor storms of judgment come, you will continue to stand. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ no condemnation so again brothers and sisters storms of life will come and will go but Christ will not he will be with us he is our foundation he will not be shaken he will not crumble over a century ago there was a story told of a ship that ocean liner who sank off the coast of England taking many people down with it. A 16-year-old galley boy was, was tossed along the, the rugged shore and survived only by clinging to a rock all night. The next morning when he was rescued, he was asked, didn't you shake all night long? And he answered this, yes, I shook all night, but the rock that I was on never shook once. Brothers and sisters, that is our word. The storms of our life will only prove the strength of our anchor. The storms of your life and my life will only prove the strength of our foundation. And he is altogether strong. He is altogether strong. The question for us is, does the house of your life have a rock? And is that rock Jesus? For if it's not Jesus, then you have no rock. You have only pebbles that will be uh, turned into to sand in a moment. So there is a storm coming, which leads us to the last truth. So we see this picture of an unshakable foundation. We have to have it. An unrelenting storm is coming. And then the last truth, the absolute authority of an unlimited Savior. So the absolute authority. Now we get to verses 28 and 29, where it says this. Jesus finished these sayings. So... As I told you from the beginning of this series, in thinking about Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first and longest sermon, and I've always made fun of my first sermon. I stood up behind not this pulpit, but another one, and I 
shared everything I knew from the Bible, and it lasted seven minutes. And I said, amen. I don't know what to do for the next 20 minutes. I guess we can pray. I don't really know how to finish this. But Jesus, think about this. A carpenter of Nazareth who had hung up his apron and his hammer had left his woodworking shop. He takes on the role of a rabbi. He calls disciples to himself. And his first sermon is the greatest sermon the world has ever heard. That never happens from a minister's standpoint. Just so you know, it never happens. And the people were left in total amazement in the presence of authority. In fact, this whole chapter ends by saying they were in awe because Jesus was teaching with authority unlike their scribes. And the picture is this. The scribes spoke by authority. They pointed back to the Word of God, continued to bring forth the Word of God, yet Jesus spoke with authority. Just think about even the Old Testament prophets. When an Old Testament prophet stood up to give a message from God, the Old Testament prophet always said this, Thus says the Lord. 3,000 times in the Old Testament we hear that phrase, Thus says the Lord. When a prophet stood up, I have a message from God, therefore thus says the Lord. The amazing picture is Jesus never once stood up and, says, and said, Thus says the Lord. Instead, Jesus stood up and said, truly, truly, I say to you. And what he was doing is this. He was speaking in his own name, and he was speaking by his own authority. In fact, Jesus was so confident that his words were truth that he dared to call those who obeyed him wise and dared to call those who didn't obey him fools. That's how confident he is and was in his word. But let me say this. The people were in awe of Jesus' authority, but get this, but they did not submit to it. They were in awe of his authority, but they didn't submit to his authority. Which begs the question, what is our response to him? David Livingstone, one of the great missionaries in, in Africa, once said these words, He is the greatest master I've ever known. If there is anyone greater, I do not know him. Jesus Christ is the only master supremely worth serving. He is the only ideal that never loses inspiration. He is the only friend whose friendship meets every demand. He is the only Savior who can save to the uttermost. We go forth in his name, in his power, and in his spirit to serve him. This is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, which leads us in closing to a few questions. The first question is this, are you building your life upon the foundation of obedience to the word of God? Are you, I'm, not, I'm not asking whether you have tipped your cap to Jesus. I'm not asking whether you think he's some great ideal and, and some great encourager. I'm saying, are you obeying his word? Are you living in obedience? Something we can't do on our own, only through the Spirit of Christ in us can we do that. But are you submitting to the Spirit of Christ and submitting to the Word? We're doing that. How are we doing it? Obeying His Word. Or, think about another question. Are you presently and even eternally prepared for the storms? When you think about the storm that might be coming in your life, are you prepared? Here's what I know. In the middle of a storm is not the time to go repair the foundation. It just doesn't work. 
doesn't work in the middle of a torrential downpour to get out and say, I'm going to fix the foundation now. No, you do it before the storm comes. And the reality, brothers and sisters, there is a storm coming. And we have to make sure that our trust in Christ is secure, that we are anchored to a hope that we know will never fail us. In the same way there is an eternal storm coming, we must make sure that we are anchored to Him, that we have turned from trusting in ourselves and from our sin, and that we have trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord. And then the question then becomes, have we submitted to the Lordship of Christ? Not have we made Him Lord as if He needs us, but have we understood that He is Lord? He will forever be Lord Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have we done that? I want to end this morning with words from Jonathan Edwards, the great American um, revivalist and minister. Just, just listen to these words. He says, you have been warned today while the door of the ark stands open. You have, as it were, once again heard the knocks of the hammer and axe in the building of the ark to put you in mind that a flood is approaching. Take heed, therefore, that you do not still stop the ears, treat these warnings with a regardless heart, and still neglect the great work which you have to do, lest the flood of wrath suddenly come upon you, sweep you away, and there is no remedy. So the point is today, brothers and sisters, there is a storm that is, is coming. Have we built our lives upon the rock? Are we secure? And let me just tell you, if you're in him, you are as secure as you, for, as you ever will be. But I pray today that there is security in us, that we know with certainty where we stand. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. In just a minute, I'm going to call Brother Frank and the musicians up, and we're going to enter into a time of invitation and consecration where we just say whatever God is telling you to do, that you would do it. So let's pray together. Father, we come before you again and before your Son and your Spirit, thanking you for your word, thanking you for bringing us, God, to this reality of where we stand in you and with the storms that are coming. Is our foundation a foundation that will carry us through? Lord, I pray today for any in this room who have built upon the sand, who have built upon their own thoughts, their own beliefs, their own desires, that today you would show them that that foundation will not stand and they are in trouble. God, I pray in this moment that they would cry out to you from the depths of their heart, acknowledging that they have sinned against you, acknowledging, God, that you did for us through Jesus what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus, you lived a perfect life. You died for our sins and you rose from the dead. And Lord, your word says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just pray that that would happen today. Lord, I pray for those of us in, in this room that have done that. Would help us today to ask the question, how are we obeying you now? How are we obeying you right now in this moment? Not just when you called us to salvation, but right now, where we live, are we obeying you? Are we doing what we know you've called us to do? 
Lord, the reality is sometimes we try to use excuses like saying the Bible is too hard to understand, yet the reality is we should be obeying what we know the Bible is very clear about. So God, I just pray today, Lord, instead of excuses, that we would be obedient to whatever it is we know that you are telling us. And as we do that, Lord, you'll make more things very clear to us. Lord, just help us as your people to be able to say with all of our hearts, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat>